You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, we come now to your word with the great and confident expectation that you will meet us together in the text of Scripture. We thank you that you honor your word, and we believe that when the word is clearly taught, that your voice is truly heard. And we pray today that all that we see in it may be clear to us, that you would give assistance both to teacher and to listener, and that all of our hearts may be transformed and sanctified by your truth. Your word is truth. And so we look to it now and ask for your help in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever asked yourself how you would feel or if you would like to have your name written in the Bible or recorded in Scripture? And I mean particularly Paul's epistles, so that for the last 2,000 years, everybody who read his letters would be able to see your name recorded there and know that you were in some way and somehow associated with the Apostle Paul and his ministry. You ever wondered that? How would, you, how would that make you feel? Then you might ask yourself, well, that depends on the answer to another question. Because I can see by the look on some of your faces that you're saying this. It depends on what the Apostle Paul would say about me. Would it be positive or would it be negative? And then that raises in me at least another question, and one that I've asked myself on multiple occasions through the last 15, 20 years since I've been a believer. And that question is, if Paul were alive today, and if I were associated with him in his ministry, and if I were involved in one of his churches, somebody that he knew, what would he say about me? Because there are some names recorded in Scripture that instantly when you hear them, they bring up in you all these positive connotations, positive thoughts, and you associate their names with good things. Like Epaphroditus and Timothy and Silas and Barnabas, right? Dr. Luke. But then there are other names that instantly conjure up in us these emotions of resentment or, or, or angst. Like Judas, for instance. How many of you ever wondered, should I name my son Judas? (laughs) Nobody has ever asked yourself that question likely. You've never seriously entertained that thought. Why? Because the name Judas is obviously associated with something horribly negative. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Those are two names that you would name your sons, right? No, you wouldn't, because if you've ever read 1 Timothy chapter 1, then you know that those are the two men who were causing problems in the church at Ephesus. They were false teachers. How about Alexander the coppersmith? There's another name that sort of conjures up negative emotions in us, doesn't it? He was the one who caused Paul much harm, 2 Timothy chapter 4. So then I asked myself, would I be among those who were named positively as Paul's fellow workers, his laborers, faithful ones? Or would I be like Demas, somebody who forsook, forsunk, however you would say that, (laughs) forsook Paul for this present world? Or would I be sort of indifferent, just one of the many thousands of people who were alive at the time of Paul, 
who knew Paul, maybe had been associated with Paul, shook his hand, but are, whose names are lost forever because maybe many of those people never did anything significant for the kingdom whatsoever. Which one of those, good, bad, or indifferent, where would I be in that? Well, the two names that we are given in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, sort of fit in one way into the positive category, and in another way they fit into that negative category. Why do they fit into the negative category? Because when I say the words, if you're familiar with Philippians, when I say the names Yodia and Syntyche, what do you associate them with? Probably most likely, you think to yourself, those were the two women who were causing conflict in the church in Philippi and were not able even to live in harmony together in the Lord. And Paul had to sort of call them out, name them by name, and give to them some very specific correction. But oftentimes we overlook verse 3, which tells us that those two women had shared with Paul in his struggle for the Gospel. They were fellow workers with Paul. So there's a lot that can be said about Yodia and Syntyche that are positive, and there's a lot that can be said about Yodia and Syntyche that is negative. Unfortunately, most of what I have to share with you today is the negative part. Maybe next week we'll talk about some positive elements. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, verse 2. These two women, Yodia and Syntyche. They were two women in the church at Philippi that Paul knew, that the church knew, and when he wrote to them, Paul had apparently heard from Epaphroditus, I'm assuming that's the case, about this conflict or this disharmony that was going on in the church. And so Paul, in writing to the Philippians, hints all the way through the book at this theme of unity and harmony and living together and being of the same mind. But then he makes direct application of it in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, when he names these two women who were causing conflict in the church because they could not, I shouldn't say they could not, but they would not live in harmony. At least they weren't living in harmony in the Lord. Now let's talk about the subject of disunity in the church for just a second. A couple of sort of general observations. First of all, we read chapter 4, verse 2, and probably the first thing that pops into your mind, at least this is the first thing that popped into my mind, was, is this really that big of a deal? I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. We have to read all the way through to chapter 4 before we even get to what might be considered a reproof. There was no major doctrinal errors that the Philippian church had fallen into. No major moral stumblings that were sort of keyed into anywhere else in the book. This is the closest thing to a rebuke or to a reproof in all of the letter. And it is very mild. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. doesn't go into great detail. doesn't spend a great passage of time talking about what has gone on, what had, what was supposed to go on, what they were saying about each other. doesn't even really, just this really mild reproof. And if you think it's a major reproof, read the book of Galatians and ask yourself, how does it compare to six chapters in Galatians when it comes to reproof? Or the book of 1 Corinthians. How does it compare to the reproofs that he offers in 1 Corinthians to that church? This is really mild. Is it really that big of a deal? You know how many churches there are in our country, in our community, in the world, who would love it if the only problem they had was two women in the congregation who couldn't live together. This is mild, isn't it? Do you know what most churches struggle with? Doctrinal heresy, false teachers, cliques, infighting, church splits. This is a very serious issue. It's nothing minor, really. It is a very serious, because on the one hand, we look at it and say, is this really that big of an issue, just two women? But on the other hand, we have to realize a church split is a serious thing, isn't it? If I were to ask for a show of hands, and I'm asking at the front end of this, don't give me a show of hands. 
I would be willing to bet, and I'm going to guess just by looking over this because I know the congregation fairly well and I've spent a lot of time visiting with most of you. I would be willing to bet that 80%, and I would even be willing to go as high as 90%, of you have gone through a church split at some point in your Christian walk. You have either sat by and done nothing and refused to get involved and watch a controversy tear your church family apart. Or maybe you have been the peacemaker and you tried to bring harmony between two warring factions. Or you, when the conflict started, you jumped on one side or you jumped on the other and took sides. Or maybe, for some of you, you were at the very center of the whole thing and you're the one that drove the church apart. I would be willing to bet that probably 80 to 90% of us have been in one of those four scenarios at some point in our Christian life. Because I've talked with many of you. Some of you have come from churches, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Some of you have come from churches because you shared this with me, and not gleefully, but, but mournfully. You've come from churches where that's their strategy of church planning. You split the church, and half of them leaves and goes somewhere else, and the other half stay there, and you repeat that cycle about every 10 years. That's the idea of church growth for some churches. It's a horrible tragedy, friends, and it's a serious thing, disunity among God's people. You know what it ends up doing? It ends up destroying the testimony of the church. Because unbelievers look at the church and they say, all I see is selfish ambition and vain conceit. I don't see anybody who's living for the interests of others. Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And I look at that church and I don't see any love for them whatsoever. And I go to work from 9 to 5 every day, and i got to deal with politicking and infighting and backbiting and bitterness and, and selfish posturing at the workplace. You think I'm going to go there on Sunday morning and deal with all of the same things from a whole other group of people with a whole other group of issues? Most people don't want anything to do with that. It ends up destroying the testimony of a church. Not only that, but you know what happens to the Gospel? The Gospel gets jettisoned, and it gets put on the back burner. Why? Because everybody involved in the controversy wants to make sure that they feel justified in their position, that they have as many people agreeing with them as possible, that they have at least a few people who are in leadership who can also agree with their position, and all of their time is spent shoring up their position, raking in the ammunition, bordering up their position, and trying to sort of strengthen it and get people on it. And you know, the Gospel just... Who cares about that? I'll go to the Awana ministry because that gives me a chance to sort of talk to everybody else, make sure that all my team players are still on my team. They're not there for the Gospel. It's a horrible thing. That is what this controversy between Yodia and Syntyche had the potential to do in Philippi. Because all it takes is two people who don't want to talk to each other and are interested in making sure that they feel justified in their position over some minute petty disagreement and just let it simmer for a few months. And you know what you've got? The beginnings of a church split. Look, all of us come here every Sunday morning with our baggage. I do. You do. I know you've got emotional baggage. Some of you are in physical pain. Some of you are in emotional pain. Some of you are in spiritual pain. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are on the, the mountaintop. Everybody comes here with this unredeemed flesh, this dead flesh that we drag around with us and pack around with us, all of our baggage, all of our past. It is only a matter of time before somebody offends you. It's only a matter of time. Before somebody doesn't look at you during the service. Or doesn't say hi to you some morning. The people who stop me in the store, no, no, no longer come here anymore. They'll stop me in the store. You know why they don't come to Kootenai? 
Because somebody didn't say hi to them one Sunday morning when they were there. As if all 150 people who are sitting here have a responsibility to say hi to all 150 others. But that's their, that's their gripe. It's only a matter of time before somebody offends you, before somebody looks at you wrong, before somebody says something to you that's not quite right, that you take in a wrong way, because you're an emotional one place and they're emotionally in another place, before you have conflict. It's just why. Because we're all sinners and we all are forced into this building, forced to live with each other, forced to worship with each other, and forced to serve with each other. Now, from my perspective, I think that's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. From your perspective, it might not be. But you're probably sitting here in this congregation with somebody who at one time or another has offended you or hurt you in some way. And if you just let it fester and fester and fester, eventually, friends, it's going to be a root of bitterness that rises up and defiles many. And Paul did not want that to happen to the church at Philippi. And so he calls on Yodia and Syntyche to deal with their disharmony in the Lord. Now, I've got to ask myself, what would it have been like to be in the church at Philippi the first Sunday that this letter was read publicly? Huh? Because that was the custom. When the letter came to the city or to the church, when Paul sent a letter, they read it publicly, they treated his epistles as if they were Scripture, and they considered it Scripture, and they read it as Scripture, and explained it as Scripture. They understood that when Paul spoke, he spoke as of the oracles of God. It was inspired and it was authoritative. So can you imagine the word would get out? Hey, everybody, did you hear that Epaphroditus is back? He's back? Absolutely he's back. He's somehow healed of his sickness. We heard he was sick. We have been praying for Epaphroditus. Now Paul sent him back to us. And guess what? He brought a letter from Paul to the whole church. Ooh, I want to be there for that. So everybody shows up. You can imagine a packed assembly. Everybody's there to hear what Paul would write to the church in Philippi. And Epaphroditus gets up after an Old Testament Scripture reading and probably some singing. And Epaphroditus stands in front of the people and gives a little update. People are wanting to know, is Paul going to be released from prison? And if so, is he going to Spain like he had promised or he had desired? Or is he going to come east into Macedonia and visit us at Philippi and visit some of the other churches? How's Paul doing? Is he sick? How's he handling the imprisonment? Is he suffering? What's his condition like? How did Epaphroditus get healed? Everybody would be waiting with bated breath. And then Epaphroditus would stand up and he would give a short update. And then he would begin to read the book of Philippians to the elders and deacons at the church at Philippi. And then he would get down to chapter 1, verse 27, and he would read, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Hmm. wonder if Epaphroditus let Paul know that we've got a problem with the one spirit, one mind, striving together part of Christian fellowship in our church. Because Paul seems to hint, at least, that he knows we've got a problem. People will be wondering. Then he would get, Epaphroditus would get to chapter 2 and read, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. I bet Epaphroditus did tell Paul what was going on here. It's kind of awkward. You wonder if he's going to come out and really really nail this or not. Then verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Hmm. Yodia and Syntyche. I wonder if they're here today. 
Then he would read chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And every eye, at least every mind, would turn to Yodia and Syntyche. You know how you do that in a congregation? That's what we do, right? We're always wondering, is so-and-so here to hear this? I sure hope they are. And, and you always know right where they sit because some of you have never sat in any other pew than the one that you're sitting in. So you know that if you want to check and see if somebody's here to hear that particular message that whoever's preaching or teaching happens to be preaching and teaching, all you have to do is sort of innocently look around the, the thing to make sure that the lights are on and you catch that person sitting right there and you know right where to check to make sure that they're there. Don't you? And we always think that we want to make sure that the other person who needs to hear this is there. And I can almost picture a young man leaning over to his wife and saying, I sure hope Yodia is thinking about this and listening to this. And the wife would say, Yodia, I hope Syntyche is listening to this. But imagine the awkward silence when Paul got to chapter 4, verse 2. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony with the Lord. That would be awkward, would it not? To have your name called out among all the other people in the congregation after everybody has probably been thinking of you two and your conflict all of this time to be singled out by the Apostle Paul and have him say, there's two of you. And I'm urging two of you to do this. That would be awkward. That would be difficult. Well, let's look at these the parties that are involved, Yodi and Syntyche. And then we're going to look at the prescription that Paul gives for this disharmony in the church. The parties that are involved, there's two women. He says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche. Now, I want you to know something. I am resisting with all of my might the temptation to point out that this disharmony was caused by two women. I'm not even going to mention that. I'm not going to draw attention to it, not even in a backhanded way. I could make a very sexist comment at this point about that fact, but I'm not going to. Not even going to draw your attention to it at all, because I don't even want you to notice that in the text. Except to say this. In all fairness, it makes no difference whatsoever that it was two women. It could have just as easily been two men. The gender of the parties involved is totally irrelevant. I have known more men to cause disharmony in fellowships than I have women. It could just as easily been men that were at the heart of the problem. It's Diotrephes who was so set on his own selfish ambition and vain conceit in 3 John that John had to call him out. It was Hymenaeus and Alexander, men who were false teachers. It was Alexander the coppersmith, a man who had caused Paul problems. The gender has absolutely nothing to do with it. So don't make anything out of that. It could just as easily have been men. Yodia and I urge Syntyche. They were two women in the congregation. And I want you to ask yourself, what can we know about them? Because there's... They're not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. They're not mentioned in Acts. They're not mentioned anywhere else in Philippians. None of Paul's other letters are these two ladies mentioned. Everything that we know about these two ladies, we glean from Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And it might be a little bit more that we know about them than you might think at first glance. In chapter 3, or chapter 4, verse 3, you'll notice the Apostle Paul at the end of the verse, look at it. He says that their names are recorded in the book of life. Their names are in the book of life. So we know that they were Christians. Furthermore, we know that at some point, in some way, they had shared with Paul in his struggle for the gospel. They were fellow workers. He names them among his fellow workers. Yodi and Syntyche and Clement and also my other fellow workers. Paul considers these two ladies as having been instrumental in his struggle for the gospel, probably in the city of Philippi. I may also, and this is just a little bit of sanctified imagination, 
I may also suspect, and, and I would feel rather strongly about this, that they were in some way leading women in the congregation. I don't mean elders and I don't mean deacons, but leading women. They were had probably positions of prominence within the body, probably well known with, to the church at Philippi. Women who were involved in ministries that were probably in some way public, in some way very recognizable. Women who were associated with the Apostle Paul. In some way, they, I think that they were leaders. That's why the Apostle Paul singles them out. I don't think that these were two no-names. These are two, I think, prominent women within the congregation whose disagreement and disharmony had the potential to literally, I think, tear the congregation to pieces. That's why it's so significant to Paul. Now, using a little sanctified imagination, and I'm not going to, I wouldn't die for this, but let me give you something that kind of popped into my mind this last week. You can take it for what it's worth, which the next 30 seconds may be totally useless to you. In Acts chapter 16, when the Apostle Paul arrived in the city of Philippi, do you remember what he did? There was no active synagogue within the city of Philippi. Of course, we only covered that five years ago, so of course you just fresh in your memory. There was no active synagogue within the city of Philippi, so a bunch of women were meeting outside the city by the river for prayer on the Sabbath. And the Apostle Paul, not finding a synagogue in Philippi, because Philippi was a Roman colony, and synagogues and Jews were kicked out of Roman colonies, they weren't allowed to worship in Roman colonies. Paul went outside the city to the riverside where he saw a bunch of women meeting for prayer. And he sat down and he began to speak to them the things concerning Jesus Christ. And that's when the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And she got saved and then she got baptized. And I asked myself, I wonder if Yodi and Syntyche were there with Lydia at the riverside. And if that's the case, then after that event, after Paul also got the, uh, after the slave girl got saved in Acts chapter 16, then the Apostle Paul was thrown into prison. That would be a struggle in the cause of the gospel, would it not? Suffering in the city of Philippi. And then the Philippian jailer got saved and Paul was released and sent on his way. Is it possible that Yodi and Syntyche were a couple of the founding members of that church in Philippi, there with Lydia by the riverside, saved that day, baptized that day, and then shared with Paul in his struggle for the gospel in the city of Philippi? That would make a lot of sense to me. I wouldn't die for that. I'm not going to start a new denomination. But it would make a lot of sense to me if that were the case. I think that these were leading women in the city of Philippi. And having a, a conflict between two people who come one Sunday every month and they're not connected to anything, not doing that's bad enough. But when you have conflict amongst leaders in the congregation who are in very high-profile positions, that has the potential to do far more harm. And that's why I think Paul mentions it. You'll notice that he says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche, and I hope this is in your English translation, the word urge is there two times. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche. The word urge is parakaleo. It means to call alongside, para meaning alongside of, like parallel, and kaleo meaning to call out. It can be used to refer to the act of encouraging someone to call somebody alongside. It can also be used in a very intense way, as it is here, to speak of begging, beseeching, and appealing to somebody. And that's how the Apostle Paul uses it. You'll notice that he says it twice because he says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche. And I think that's significant. Because I don't believe, I believe that the Apostle Paul wanted to make the same appeal in the same words to both women. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche. That would keep either one of them from overanalyzing the words of the Apostle Paul and say, well, I think he's speaking to the other one. Imagine if he had just said, I urge Yodia and Syntyche. Now, if Syntyche is thinking in the flesh, what's she going to think? Syntyche is going to say, 
Well, I can tell from the position of my name in that sentence that I'm mentioned after Yodia, and so I think that the initiative to resolve this rests with Yodia and not with me. Because if he had meant that I share equal initiative with Yodia to get this thing harmonized and settled, I think he would have said I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche. But it's obviously Yodia that is urged and not me, Syntyche. So therefore, I'm not as much to blame. And the Apostle Paul, I think, is probably taking sides with me. That's how the fleshly mind can operate, can it? You don't think so? Yeah, yours has. And so has mine. That's how the mind operates. That's how the flesh operates. I have my position and I'm justified in holding it. And I have my conflict and I'm going to guard myself. And that person has the responsibility. And you can quote verses all day long showing that all of the burden rests on them to come to and deal with this issue with you. But Paul wants the initiative to get this resolved to rest on both Yodia and Syntyche. I urge both of these women to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, do you notice that the Apostle Paul does not take sides in the conflict? Do you notice that? You could read chapter 4, verse 2, until you die, and you will never be able to tell what side of this conflict the Apostle Paul is on. Can you? You can't discern that from this. Do I think that the Apostle Paul knew what was going on? I think he did. I think Epaphroditus filled him in on everything that was happening there in the church of Philippi. And I think Epaphroditus knew what the issue was. And I believe that Epaphroditus shared that issue with Paul. And he said the church in Philippi is doing great, except for this one thing. we got this one conflict that's not being resolved. Yodi and Syntyche are at disharmony with each other. And I believe that the Apostle Paul knew all of the details of what had gone on. But do you notice he does not take sides? And yet, that is what both Yodia and Syntyche would want, is it not? Don't you want to know that if you're in conflict with somebody else, that you want to know that as many people in leadership that are respectable as possible take your side in the conflict? The Apostle Paul doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, I urge Yodia to be of the same mind as Syntyche. He doesn't say, I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind as Yodia. He just says, I want you to live in harmony together in the Lord. He doesn't ask Yodia to step over and agree with Syntyche or vice versa. Is it important that the Apostle Paul should take sides? Do you think he should have? What good would that do? What good does it really matter if anybody takes sides in the issue? But you know what we do? We like to take sides, don't we? Do you also notice the Apostle Paul doesn't give any of the details of what had gone on? He doesn't recite for us, look, I understand Yodia said this, and Syntyche said that, and then Yodia said this, and then Syntyche did that, and then Yodia did this, and then there was that, and then this person got involved, and then she was offended over that, and she was offended, and then they tried to apologize, and it didn't work out. None of the details. Are the details important? Seldom ever are details important in an issue like this. What is important? That the relationship be healed. That's what's important. Wasn't important all of the details of the minutiae surrounding it. The Apostle Paul doesn't go into any of that. I think he understood what was going on. He doesn't care. It's not essential that he takes sides. What is essential is that these women both be urged to live in harmony together with the Lord and to be of the same mind in the Lord. Details don't matter. But you know what happens with details? We all want to know the details, don't we? When a conflict comes up, be honest with yourself. We want to know what the details are. So-and-so is not getting along with so-and-so. I wonder why that happened. And we have this morbid, twisted, sick sense of curiosity that wants to know all the details surrounding that controversy. Why? So we can take sides. Right? We want to take sides. Who said what first? How did that? What was her tone in saying that? What was his motive in doing that? And then he did what? And we all the little details, just chick, 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 we're just building a case all the way through so at the end of the day we can know who's right and we can know who's wrong and we can be justified to be able to defend what side of this thing we're falling down on and why and we believe that we're right over here because of what? 
You know, it's that very morbid sense of curiosity that makes disunity in the church so serious. If when somebody came to us and they said, i got a bicker against this person, if we just said, whoa, 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 hey, hey, shut your pie hole. You go deal with that person. You go talk to them personally, privately, yourself. You sit down. You get it resolved. And if you can't do that, then you come and talk to me. But I don't want to know any of the details about it. You just go get it dealt with. You go to that person privately. You tell them that they've offended you. And if they won't hear you, then you go and you bring somebody else. You follow the Matthew 8. If we just did that, the disharmony would cease. But we all want to know the details. Why? So we could take sides. So we can be justified in falling down on one side or the other. The Apostle Paul, he doesn't play that game at all. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche, live in harmony in the Lord. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. He's going to appeal in verse 3, Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul's going to call somebody in to help them get this resolved. I think it was a very serious issue, and they needed help in dealing with it. The fact that the Apostle Paul doesn't give details and the fact that the Apostle Paul doesn't take sides indicates to me that this conflict was not a doctrinal conflict, it was a personal conflict. And I'm not trying to deduce what was going on or what happened because we can't know that, but I I think we can know the nature of the conflict. If it was a doctrinal conflict, Paul would have just spelled it out and said, look, I understand there's some question that you have about some issue. Here's the doctrinal truth about that issue. But Yodi and Syntyche weren't arguing about the nature of the resurrection body or election or how many angels can dance on the head of a pin or whether tongues are for today or not. They weren't arguing about any of those doctrinal issues. The nature of baptism, should it be by immersion or dunking or sprinkling or what about no doctrinal issue? It was a personal conflict. How do I know it was a personal conflict? If it was a doctrinal issue that was tearing apart the church, Paul would have addressed it. He would have taken sides. He would have said, this is the truth. Now, this is what you need to believe. And stop arguing about it. But he doesn't do that. He's not interested in it. Why? Because something had come up in this relationship between these two women that needed to be addressed. Well, that's the parties involved. Oh, before I leave that, this is actually one of those things, this is a little bit extra for your money. Some people have all these fanciful ideas about who Yodia and Syntyche were. Some people say, well, one of them was Lydia, and somebody else says one of them was Paul's wife. Um, one of the most fanciful things I heard Some commentators said, Yodia and Syntyche are allegories. They're allegories. And Paul's speaking allegorically to Jews represented by Yodia or Syntyche or whichever one, and Gentiles represented by the other. So it's allegorically speaking, and what Paul's asking is that the Jews and the Gentiles live together in harmony in the Lord. Think that's valid? 4 verse 3 calls them women. Again, listen, there was a Greek word for Jew and there was a Greek word for Gentile. And if Paul had wanted to tell the Jews and the Gentiles to live in harmony in the Lord, he would have said, Jews, Gentiles, live in harmony in the Lord. He would have said that. Let me give you a heads up on something. Anybody, anytime anybody uses the term allegory and then proceeds to give you an interpretation of a verse, they are pushing you off a cliff into error. That applies to any passage in Scripture, including prophecy. Allegory is not an interpretive tool. You can't twist Scripture to say that. I just have to throw that out in case you have a Bible study, a study Bible in front of you that has Yodi and Syntyche or allegory for Jews and Gentiles. That's just a, so much baloney. <clears throat> now we notice <clears throat> the prescription that is given to dealing with this disunity. 
Paul says, I want you to live together in harmony in the Lord. Now, your translation may read something different. And if it reads something like, be of the same mind, think together, be on the same page or something like that, that's the idea behind it. It's actually a word that we've seen used elsewhere in the book of Philippians. It's a major theme. It's a word used nine times. And it is the word for attitude or mindset, a mental, spiritual disposition. It's the word phronane. It's used in chapter 1, verse 8, where Paul says, it's only right that I feel this way about you. It's used in chapter 2, where Paul says, I want you to be of the same mind, the same attitude, the same mindset. When he says, I want you to have the mind of Christ, this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, it's that same word. It's the word that has to do with one's mental disposition, one's way of thinking. Now, the Apostle Paul does not ask, Yodia to be of the same mind as Syntyche, or Syntyche to be of the same mind as Yodia, he asked for them both to be of the same mind. Well, what mind would the Apostle Paul be speaking of? Is he asking both of them to find an, a, a mutual position in the middle that they can sort of meet on and agree to? Well, I'll compromise this and you compromise that. Is that what he's asking? Is he asking both of them to find something that neither one of them believe is true and both of them believe that? and agree together on something totally abstract that they've never thought of before. Is that what he's asking? What mind do you think the Apostle Paul, what attitude do you think, what disposition is he speaking of? I think he's already told us back in chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was what? Also in Christ Jesus. Well, what mindset did Christ Jesus have? Christ Jesus had the mindset that considered other people as more important than himself, and leaving all of the privileges and the pleasures and the benefits and the worship of angels in heaven. He condescended and took upon Himself human flesh, and He came in the likeness of human flesh, and He died and was obedient even to the point of death. That is the ultimate humility. It is the mindset that Jesus demonstrated, that mind of Christ. It's the mindset that Paul had when he said, I'm willing to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, and I rejoice in that. It was the mindset that Timothy demonstrated where Paul could say he will be genuinely concerned for your interests. Most men are concerned about not others' interests, but their own, but not Timothy. He's unique. Among all the people that I know, Timothy will be genuinely concerned for you. He'll put you ahead of himself. It was that mindset of Epaphroditus that said, yeah, I'm sick, but I don't want the Philippians to find out because then they'll be concerned about me. And he was so concerned about them that he didn't want them concerned about him. He considered other people as more important than himself. That's the mind of Christ. It is that mind that says, I'm going to regard the interests of the other person as more important than myself, and I'm going to lay aside all of my selfish ambition, all of my vain conceit, all of my pride, all of my position, all of my ego, and I'm going to find some way of serving that individual. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says, I want you to be of the same mind in the Lord. That's his mindset. So, Yodia, I urge you to adopt the mindset of Christ that I described in chapter 2. Syndicate, I urge you to adopt the mindset of Christ that I described in chapter 2. Maybe you'll never agree on what it is that you're disagreeing, but I want both of you to live in harmony and have the same mind in the Lord, that mind of Christ, which is willing to step down and humble itself and sacrifice for the sake of others. Now, can you imagine what would happen if both Yodia and Syntyche adopted that mindset. Because Miss Yodia would come to church maybe that Sunday or the next Sunday and say, you know what? This is ridiculous. This is, it's only my own selfishness and my own pride that's causing this whole thing. And the potential to destroy the rest of the church rests upon what I could do about it. I've got to find some way to humble myself 
and I'm going to do something to serve Syntyche and show her that I love her. I'm going to condescend if it means washing her feet, cleaning her toilets, cooking her food for a week, whatever it is. I'm going to do something to show that she is more important to me than myself. And Miss Syntyche would come and say, it's only my own pride and my own selfishness that keeps me from being in harmony with Yodia. And we have served together before, and we had a friendship before. This needs to be resolved. I'm going to lay aside all of my own selfishness and all of my own vain conceit, and I'm going to adopt the mind of Christ. And if Jesus gave Himself for me and humbled Himself to that extent, then surely I can stoop down far enough to show Yodia that she means more to me than I mean to myself. And if that were to happen, then what would happen to the conflict? What conflict? There's no conflict. It just disappeared just like that. Right? It's gone. It's out the door. It's resolved. Why? Because both of them had the mind of Christ. See, the Apostle Paul has been hinting about this mind of Christ and dealing with the mind of Christ all the way through the epistle, really. Showing how everything is about Christ and what Christ did and how that applies in the church life. Then he gets to chapter 4, verse 2, and he just gives it a very concrete, very solid application. When you have conflict, friends, you need to just stop and say, I need to adopt the mind of Christ and find some way to humble myself and consider the other person as more important than myself and serve that individual in love. And the disharmony, the controversy, the conflict will disappear just as fast as it reared its ugly head. One final thought, and I promise you this is my final thought. I want you to notice, and this is an important observation, what the Apostle Paul is talking about is not unity. What the Apostle Paul is talking about is Christian unity. There's a difference. This type of unity that he's describing is only possible between Christians. Friends, you, you can't have this type of unity and harmony between you and an apostate, a heretic, and a false teacher, or an unbeliever. Why? Because the apostate, the false teacher, the heretic, the unbeliever, cannot have the mind of Christ. Because they don't have Christ. He's not talking about laying aside all truth and just being harmonious with everybody that exists. There are times when conflict is called for and there are times when the lack of conflict is sin. When is the lack of conflict sin? The lack of conflict is sin when the Gospel is at stake and when truth is being waged war upon. Mr. Doc, I'm not talking about personal issues. Personal issues... Stuff aside, we contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But when it comes to my own personal grievances, my own personal offenses, mind of Christ. With my brother and sister in the Lord. So he's not talking about that kind of harmony. Now, there's more to the prescription for these two women and the disharmony that existed that Paul's going to give us in chapter of, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. And we'll look at that next week. You may look at chapter 4, verse 3, and I don't think you could get a whole sermon out of that, Jim. You might be true. It might be right. But there's a potluck to follow next week, so if we don't, then we eat early. <laughs> and if we do, then you'll be amazed. So let's bow our heads and pray together and commit ourselves to the Lord to this end. Father, You have called us to peace with one another. You have called us to peace with You. And Lord, if there is disharmony in our hearts toward a brother or sister in Christ, we recognize that as sin. It needs to be repented of. And we need to humble ourselves. We pray that You give us grace to this end, that we might demonstrate the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be glorified, we ask, in our personal relationships, in our friendships, and in how we relate to one another. 
in order that Jesus Christ and His love might be demonstrated amongst us as a body. And we ask that You would give us grace to obey. We pray that Your grace and Your enabling would go with Your people this day to that end and to the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask it in His name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.